we say your mind can either be a weapon or a weakness. And so what we want to really tap into is what do you need to focus on when you're out on the mound in order to help you execute and eliminate those distractions or refocus when you do get distracted. What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner. Before we introduce our guest, I have some awesome news. Thanks to the Texas High School Baseball Coaches Association, you can now find the podcast on the THSBCA app. Just download the app, click on AOTC Podcast, and you can stay up to date with our current and past episodes. Big shout out to Little Elm head coach Matt Harbin for making that happen. Joining us today, we have the mental conditioning coach for IMG Academy, Zach Brandon. Zach takes us through what his favorite mental game strategies are, why we need to focus on the breath and fine motor skills and not just motivation, and he also gives us some great exercises we can use on the field. You're going to love this conversation with Zach Brandon. Zach Brandon, thank you for joining us on Ahead of the Curve. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Uh, excited to chat with you today. Oh, I'm really excited as well. And I think you are our first uh, mental game coach that, that's actually come on the show. So really excited to hear what you have to say today. I love it. I love it. That's uh, no pressure, but uh, I'm excited to, excited to share with the coaches listening today. Well, for our listeners, uh, I'll tell a little bit about you and then you can go right into uh, to your background. You are the mental skills coach at IMG Academy in Florida, and just give us a short snapshot of how you got there. Sure, yeah. So my uh, my background is, is actually in baseball, uh, in terms of sport background. I grew up playing uh, baseball, and then as I progressed through high school, had some opportunities to play baseball um, at the next level, and and I ended up choosing to go to Linfield College, which is in McMinnville, Oregon, my home state. Got a chance to play for four years there, be a part of some really good teams, including a couple World Series teams and a national championship team. And meanwhile, I was coached by um, a tremendous staff led by uh, Scott Brocious, who's now the third base coach for the Seattle Mariners. So, you know, that my playing background, I would say, has had a pretty significant influence on, you know, my passion for sports and the mental game. And I think setting me up for my journey to where I'm at today and as I kind of went through uh, my time at Linfield, I started to you know, try to figure out what I wanted to do. I took an intro to sports psychology class, and the second day of class, I remember we were talking about the field, and, and how and I just felt it just spoke to me, and I, I went up to the professor after the class and said, look, this is exactly what I want to do, and really from that point forward, it was how can I set myself up for a career in the field, so I started looking into graduate programs. The first one that I really starred and highlighted from the beginning was Cal State Fullerton down in Orange County, California. And uh, my main criteria was the faculty. I wanted to go where I could find the best faculty. And Cal State Fullerton, I felt like, was the perfect fit. Um, you know, I know a lot of people in the baseball community are familiar with Ken Revisa and mm-hmm. the work he's done with Heads Up Baseball. So I got a chance to study under Ken for my time at Fullerton, as well as a lot of our other faculty who are all tremendous practitioners and just incredible people. So um, had a great experience there, learned a lot from those individuals, got a chance to work with some college teams and athletes as well as some youth programs. And so fell in love with the applied work and, you know, wanted to do more applied work. And so, you know, just like any other grad student or undergrad student, I wanted an internship in the field. And uh, in sports psych, you can pretty much count the number of formal internships on one hand. And uh, one of them is at IMG Academy here in, in Bradenton, Florida. And so I applied for a summer position that they had uh, they had open and was able to get it and uh, spent the summer of 2015 here, had a great experience, got invited back for the summer of 2016. And it just so happened that it was good timing. There was a full-time spot open uh, opening up at the academy for the school year and uh, really basically jumped on the opportunity. And since uh, June of this past year, I've been here as a full-time uh, mental conditioning coach. Well, that's awesome. And it sounds like you just, you get to live the dream, man. So I want to know what your day-to-day looks like. So take us through a typical day of Zach Brandon at IMG Academy. You know, what do you guys do? 
Yeah, so you know, this might might be helpful to kind of start with just some context behind IMG. Um, a lot of people don't know, but we actually have ten full time mental conditioning coaches on our staff, oh, which wow. is truly unheard of. Yeah, I mean, especially to to be able to walk outside my office and have nine you know other people that I can bounce ideas off of is is just an incredible resource, and so. But we have so many of us because we actually are uh, part of what we do here is we have a private boarding school. We have close to 1,100 student athletes that come here and they go to school, you know, in the morning or in the afternoon and then vice versa. They're doing training in, in, like I said, the morning or the afternoon wherever they're not in school. So we offer eight different sports on campus and uh, two of those being baseball and track and field. So those are actually the two sports that I primarily focus on. So my job is to develop and implement uh, the mental training program for the student athletes in those respective sports. It is a really fun gig. I absolutely love it. Basically, our setup here is, for the most part, every single uh, across every single sport and every single group that we have on campus get at least one mental training session a week. Mm-hmm. So on the kind of the day-to-day basis, uh, I'm meeting with our teams at least once a week, delivering a mental training session with them. We also have some other types of sessions that we do. We have kind of a state-of-the-art, uh, we call it our mind gym, where we do a lot of kind of cognitive, perceptual, or vision training, which is pretty unique and pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get a chance to do that with our student-athletes, but Honestly, aside from, you know, delivering group sessions and and then certainly working with individual athletes who are interested, most of my time is actually spent out on the diamond or on the track just talking to the uh, to the kids and to the coaches, which is a pretty sweet thing to be able to just kind of walk around and talk to those individuals, pick their brain a little bit, especially our coaches. We have some world-class coaches across um, multiple different sports here, so um, I definitely try to utilize them as resources. And I would say that, you know, that's kind of the bulk of what I do is, is like I said, delivering those programs, but then also working with individuals as needed. So if you don't mind, can you take us through, you know, what a mental game session would look like? Yeah. So for those who may not be as familiar with mental conditioning, um, I, I usually try to compare it to kind of everybody's pretty familiar with a strength coach or a personal trainer. And I tell people, you know, why do you go to a strength coach or a personal trainer? And they'll say, well, I want to get faster. I want to get stronger. I want to lose weight. Um, you know, a variety of different physical skills or outcomes. And I say, great. And I say, now it's really no different from a mental training standpoint that, you know, you reached out to a mental conditioning coach. If you want to improve, you know, mental skills or attributes such as confidence, discipline, resilience, focus, awareness, all those different more mental characteristics. But I say the other thing that I come back to the strength coach for is part of the reason you go to one of those individuals is because they can put together a program that's customized to fit your needs. And it's very similar from a mental training standpoint. Anybody can go online. Uh, on YouTube or the internet and find resources and find exercises that they can do to get faster, stronger, lose weight, etc. But ultimately, what you're looking for is a program that's, again, fit to your needs. And so when I I, I open with that, because I think that uh, outlines a a pretty important groundwork for the work that I do in terms of delivering sessions, because ultimately, the types of sessions I deliver really depend on the group, depend on the sport, the age level. There's a lot of different factors that go into it. It's not just kind of a, I call them one hit wonders or, or anything like that, where you come in, you do a one-time talk and, and that's the end of it. Um, it's, there's a plan, there's a progression. So the model that I typically use is kind of this three-layered or three-step approach that's education, application, support. And to kind of, if I were to kind of give a specific example of what that looks like with a particular skill, we'll take breathing, for example. You can pretty much ask any mental conditioning coach, not just in baseball, but any sport, everybody's going to say your ability to kind of control your breath and focus on your breath can be a really valuable tool for you uh, in the mental game. There's a great line in the movie uh, American Sniper where Bradley Cooper's character is at the shooting range and his commanding officer is walking behind him and he drops a line that when you master the breath, you master the mind. 
And I think that there's a lot of truth and clarity to that, that um, our breath can is really that bridge between our mind and our body. So one of the things that we'll do in, in following that format is we'll start with some educational sessions on why the breath is important, why we want to be able to control our breathing and what it does for us. So it helps us bring our mind to the present moment, helps us slow things down, especially in pressure situations or when we have a tendency to want to rush, which isn't exactly a recipe for success in baseball. Um, we'll talk about that why, what, and how of the breath, and we'll do it typically in like a classroom session. We might also show some videos to kind of provide some concrete examples for our kids and how other athletes or performers use it. We use a lot, actually a lot of military examples. We say this may not be baseball, but if you're going to learn how to breathe to the best of your ability, you might as well learn from the people who are probably the best in the world at doing that. And mm -hmm. so we show a lot of sniper videos and then give them an opportunity to practice it. So that's that second piece, that application component. And so we may do, you know, three to five minutes of breathing, teach them kind of the the technique of it in, in a classroom, and then we'll say, okay, let's take it out onto the field. So a progression we might do is we'll do five minutes prior to the start of a practice um, in the dugout. You know, it's one thing to be able to do it in the classroom in a nice controlled setting. Can you do it now under the hot and humid Florida sun mm -hmm. and dealing with distractions? And so We'll progress it to the point then it's, okay, now can we do it in the middle of drills and stations and practice? So for bullpens, for example, with our pitchers, we would have them after they threw, let's say they're throwing two sets for that, that workout, after their first 15 pitches in the pen, they'll come over and they'll do basically three minutes of nice, relaxed, uh, slow breathing just to kind of help recharge, clear their mind after the last set before they then turn around and go in and throw the next 15. Pins, for example, are, can be extremely rushed, and they tend to be what I call aerobic pitching, where guys just get up on the mound and they throw their 15, 20, 30 pitches uh, as quickly as they can. And so anytime you can kind of, I think, utilize that breath to, to slow down, it can help increase the quality, and it's going to feel more game-like. That's kind of the application piece is, again, we started with the classroom and then we shift to on field. And then from there, it's really supporting it. And so it's figuring out what worked, what didn't work for our kids and, you know, what adjustments do we need to make in order to make it work for you? So I would say that's really, tip I mean, that's, again, it's a progression. It's hard to, I think, kind of pinpoint what one specific session will look like just because there's so many variables and, and the context is really important with each group. But um, that's typically how I progress it, very similar to a strength coach um, and how they kind of outline an entire program for an individual. I love that. And would you say that breathing is kind of the foundation of everything else that you guys do, or is it the most important mental skill that you want to teach them? Yeah, so I would definitely say we we say the breath is really the MVP of the mental game. It's really from our initial sessions in the fall or the off season, we spend a lot of time on the breath, and and I can get into more detail on this in a little bit. Um, we even put together what we're going through right now, which is a six week, uh, we call it mental toughness training, where we combine with our strength coach and we go out on the turf or grass and we do kind of a high intensity kind of conditioning workout and we have our athletes really try to control their breath in between sets and do different mental tasks or a fine motor task in between to give them a chance to practice that. So That's good. we devote a lot of time and, and energy to that breath because again, I think it comes back to, it can apply to so many different parts of the mental game and it really is, I think, the foundation piece. And so um, for sure, it's something we spend a lot of time on. It's most of the time when we ask our guys when they leave here in May, what stuck out to you the most? What skill do you use more than any other? You know, ninety percent of the time, it's the breath. No, that's great. And and tell me if I'm wrong for this, but this is something that we integrated in the last year. And uh, just because I I'm getting to the point where we understand that the breath is important, but being able to practically practice it. Uh, is was something that I was looking for. And so we started these things called burpee bullpens. Right before they would get started, they would have 20 burpees. And for anybody who, who knows what burpees are, burpees are really <laughs> tough. 
Yeah. So then they would have to get on the mound, control their breath, or go through their adversity routine to try and control their breath and then get back on and do it. So I was trying to make it more game-like. So you're saying maybe I should do that and a fine motor skill, add something to that as well? I think how you're doing it is great. Um, what it reminds me of is there's some great stories of, of Roger Clemens, for example, where he would do kind of a full workout before a, a game in spring training or before he would go and throw a pin in spring training. And what I think that simulates, as you said, is the game, right? Where, you know, when you're throwing a pin, that's, you know, that's like the first inning or two in a game, which, you know, for starting pitchers, for example, you know, anybody can feel great in the first inning or two. I want to know, you know, can you still get outs and find a way to, you know, execute when it's late in the game, when your body's fatigued, when you're, you're feeling like you're trying, your arms moving underwater when you're pitching. And so I think of the way you guys are using it and combining some physical workouts prior to those pins is a great way to put guys in an environment where they have to really master that breath not just to stay calm and, and compose, but also be able to recover. But I think for sure, you know, if you do any sort of conditioning with your athletes, doing some sort of fine motor task may not look like it has anything to do with baseball, but that same skill that you're applying to be able to execute that task applies when you're on the mound and you're scuffling a little bit and, you know, the game starts to speed up on you. It's the same thing. And I think having them do some sort of physical workout before a pin is is definitely a great way to kind of test them and give them an opportunity to practice that skill. I'm biting at the bit to hear what you guys are doing, so go ahead. Sure, yeah. So, you know, I'll piggyback off of my last response in terms of that, you know, education, application, support. And I think another way to frame it is uh, a concept that, Ken Revisa and Tom Hansen discuss in their new book, Heads Up Baseball 2.0, which is they say there's three levels to mastering the middle game. You got to learn it, you got to do it, and then you have to own it. And what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a lot of coaches who are investing more time and energy towards that first, that first level, learning it. I hear more and more coaches who are doing classroom type sessions that give their kids an opportunity to be introduced to those skills. But I think really where you start to separate guys is where can they do it in that second level? Can you actually practice those skills? And I think that's a great time for coaches to create a practice environment that allows them to do that. And so one of the things that we've done is we were big into competition. And I think ask any baseball coach, I think any baseball coach will agree that the more competition we can bring into different drills and situations and practice, the better. Um, we use the analogy, which is from kind of the train ugly concept is that, uh, there's a difference between a, a jungle tiger and a zoo tiger, <laughs> right? Where like what's, that. what's the, what's the life of a zoo tiger like, right? And it's, you say it's, well, it's pretty easy. It's pretty comfortable. Um, they're everything that they get is pretty much spoon fed to them. There's no risk. There's no potential for danger and overall the life is pretty easy now whether or not the tiger agrees with that that's a different conversation but um then you take a jungle tiger for example and what's the life like in the jungle right it's a lot more stressful there's more risk involved survival is on the line you're having to work hard for basically uh, your food and, and your survival and so Life is a lot different in that in that setting. And we say, okay, now let's compare it to baseball. Which one is practice and which one's competition? And it's usually pretty easy and straightforward that guys are like, well, the zoo is like practice and competition is like is like the jungle. And so what we say is we want to be able to bring that jungle into practice. Mm -hmm. We want to create more jungle tigers. We want to create stress. And so some of the things that we utilize is kind of making practice almost messy and kind of putting guys in situations where they're having to trust their instincts, make quick decisions, and make adjustments on the fly. Um, and so one of them that we've done is, I'll give you a couple like scrimmage examples. We did one where uh, we called it baseball roulette, where I basically rolled dice and the dice represented one of the position players out on the field. And so if let's say I la it lands on a four 
And what would end up happening is in the middle of the scrimmage, and we would do this at various different random points in an inning, the second baseman, for example, would have to sprint off the field and he would have to come over to the the sideline and complete a fine motor task or we would have them do um, some breathing. We have some biofeedback technology that we use and so we would have them do some breathing um, up until they completed whatever the task was. Meanwhile, their teammates who are out in the field, now they're all of a sudden having to play a man down. So now all of a sudden, as, as players, you create situations uh, for the players to have to make decisions, mm-hmm. make adjustments. You create uh, situations for the hitters where now all of a sudden, if the four holes open, well, I have to be able to make an adjustment at the plate, right? Like, I mean, do I stick with the same approach when I have you know, a wide gap in the field or so forth. So it puts guys in a situation where they have to make those decisions and and make adjustments on the fly. And again, it puts pressure on the guy who has to come off the field because your teammates are counting on you. And can you complete the task in in an amount of time where your teammates, you know, you don't all of a sudden come back on the field and your team is down by, you know, five or six runs. Um, We did a similar one which is using playing cards. Um, and so, for example, like after a BP session, we would do a competition with two teams, and I would basically have each player that comes up, they'd pick a card, and the card determined what the situation was or what the count was, and they had to try to execute whatever it was. And so, um, again, just kind of just creative different ways to put guys in position to have to make kind of one pitch adjustments and think on the fly and be able to slow themselves down because the tendency is to want to get up to the plate and rush. And so anytime we can encourage them to kind of slow things down um, and put them outside their comfort zone, I think that's a great way to kind of uh, train some of those skills. Another one that I've done for pitchers is we call them pressure pins. And so we talk a lot about in baseball where one of the challenges with it is all the time you have to think. And that can be either your best friend or your worst enemy when you're out on the mound. We say your mind can either be uh, a weapon or a weakness. And so what we want to really tap into is what do you need to focus on when you're out on the mound in order to help you execute and eliminate those distractions or refocus when you do get distracted. So I'll ask a guy, for example, when you're on the mound, what are the things that grab or pull your attention away from executing pitches? And they'll say when an umpire makes a bad call or when a guy behind me makes an error or when all of a sudden today my curveball decided not to show up and I don't have the bite on it that I normally do. And then what I'll do is I'll assign each of his teammates who are will stand around in the form of tunnel from basically the mound to home plate. And their job is to basically chirp at the pitcher on the mound the entire time, all those different distractions and all those different thoughts that basically pull a guy out of uh, the present moment. Meanwhile, the guy on the mound, their job is to try to see, can they stay calm? Can they focus on what matters the most? And just, again, putting them in situations where they're going to have to to be challenged to utilize those skills that we've hopefully already taught them in the classroom and do it in a in a competitive situation and i wouldn't say i'm advocating to do this all the time i think this is something that you do once you know kind of that foundation has been set and guys are more comfortable and confident and you know in the skills and you've had some you know other more normal bullpen sessions but um i think those are have been some of the things that we've done that have really helped kind of break up the you know the monotony sometimes and the and the repetitiveness of practice sessions and so far we've had you know a lot of guys respond really well to those different uh situations and i think it's again the more we can create an environment in training that mirrors what it's like in competition or at least puts guys in a situation where they have to use those skills in a practice setting uh the more it can help them well that's great and the whole time you were talking about the guy running off the field, I was thinking, man, you're you're putting pressure on literally everyone in the situation because the second baseman has to 
get the fine motor skill tasks done and done well to get back on the field. The rest of the guys on the field have to have the pressure of, well, we have to make a play one guy down. And then the guys at, that are hitting, they have, they have the pressure of, oh man, it's, it's kind of like playing hockey with a man down. It's, I don't even know, what do they call it? Power play. So. Yeah. Yeah. So they have to. That's their opportunity to seize. Uh, so I I love that, and and I consider that stolen from my behalf. <laughs> it's perfect. Feel free to feel free to take it for sure. So what would in, some examples of some of the fine motor skills be? Because I think we've all you know we know about the concentration grids, which are a great tool. But what are some other ones that we can use? So some of the ones that we've done, I'll, I'll go back to what I referenced earlier within the physical training that we do with our strength coach. We call them uh, mental toughness Mondays. And so what we'll do is at the end of a lift session, we'll have the guys come out and they'll be put through, again, a kind of a high interval, high intensity kind of conditioning workout like med ball slams, sprints, burpees, anything that our strength coach wants to do with them. And then... They'll either be broken up into teams or sometimes we do pairs. And the job then becomes is once he says that the, the set is done, whatever the physical workout is, they'll come over and they'll do um, whatever that motor task is or that mental task. And so one of the ones that we've done, which is probably my personal favorite, is we call it bolt stacking, where uh, you use chopsticks and little bolts, uh, tool bolts. Wow. What guys have to basically do is we did this one in pairs where one guy was holding a clipboard and then the other guy was having to stack these bolts vertically on the clipboard, uh, which is great because both guys have to be able to slow their breath down, stay under control because you don't want the guy holding the clipboard to be shaken and then you don't want the guy who's trying to stack to be shaken. And we would put a lot of pressure on him. We'd basically say you had 30 seconds to stack maybe five or six bolts, which I'll tell you, it's hard enough to do that in 30 seconds when you're not physically fatigued. And so puts a lot of pressure on the guys. And basically would say if you didn't get it in the 30 seconds, you went back out and you did another set of the, the conditioning workout. So, uh, and they'd keep going they, until they completed. So if you did it the very first time, you were done. And so that was one exercise that we've done. We've used Jenga. Jenga is a fun one. I was a lot thinking of the, about that earlier. Yeah, I was thinking that would be really, really good to use. Yeah, Jenga is a fun one. We did that one in a team where we did like a team relay uh, with sprints. And when guys would come back, they'd have to stack one. And uh, you didn't want to be the first team to knock over your tower. And you were trying to make the highest tower you could. So that was a fun one. We did one recently that was a little bit more focus oriented where guys did they were pushing sleds and when they got back they had to look at a picture kind of like those what's the difference pictures where it's two pictures that look identical side by side mm -hmm. can you determine what's different between the two and we tried to see which team could get the most in a certain amount of time so we've done that and uh, I think one other one I'll add that I that I've seen which I think is kind of fun when I actually saw the Blue Jays use this and basically they would have their guys do the workout and then they they came back and they had words on a page that were basically colors so they had written colors on the page and then the color of the actual word was a mismatch to um the word the color itself and so it was kind of a, a good kind of brain teaser where you're again having to process information very quickly and you're trying to be as accurate as possible um so i think Anything like that can be can be a fun and and kind of challenging exercise for guys again especially when you're when you're tired and fatigued. And so you do these things, but what's the main reason why you guys chose to instead of doing like the one hit wonder motivation stuff to do like the fine motor skills breathing? Yeah, so I think a lot of it comes back to you know ultimately in order to get behavior change, it requires, I think, repetition and it requires progression of skills. What I mean by that is if I'm a, if I'm a coach and I do mental sessions um, in the classroom, let's say I do it once a week. Every Monday prior to practice, I do a 30-minute session. First off, I think that's better than nothing. I think that's great. Like if That's, I think, a great way to introduce the skills and get kids to learn the different mental concepts and principles. 
But in in that setting, I, I think what happens is then you expect those players to be able to transfer those skills over onto the field in practice and in competition. And I think that's a really tall task. And I think you're you're going to set yourself up for disappointment if you only do those sessions in the classroom. You have to be able to practice those skills again, even in a in a drill or an, during an exercise that may look like it has nothing to do with baseball. It still gives you an opportunity to practice it and develop a feel for how it works for you, um, which I think is pretty essential. Um, and so. We, 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 like I said, we don't just do one session on breathing. We do, I mean, in the fall so far, we've probably done at least six or seven sessions. And, uh, like I said, some of that has been with our strength coach, but we, we really hit it hard, um, because we want to make sure that in a game situation and it's the game is sped up on you and, and you need to slow yourself down. We want to make sure that you've, you've fine tuned that skill. So I was talking to some of our players last year, and they were uh, they were like, "Hey, coach, why why are we doing this breathing stuff?" And <laughs> you know, pitchers pitchers can be aloof at times. And mm-hmm. so I said, "Well, why do you think? Uh, why do you think we're concentrating on this? What happens if you can't breathe?" And one of them goes, "Well, you die." <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Well, you know, at, at, I guess it's most simple form, yeah." So anytime we say, uh, you know, are you breathing? And uh, they'll say, yes, yes. And I'm saying, well, what happens when you can't breathe? And they go, well, you die. So I, I wanted to throw that in there. Maybe yeah. maybe you thought you'd like that. I, I do love it. There was a good quote uh, last year, not this past World Series, but the previous World Series when Cleveland was in it. And Coco Crisp had a quote that said, basically, to uh, in, summer, in summary, it talked about how the first thing you do when you enter this world is you breathe. Like you... You've been breathing since the day you were born, and then all of a sudden you get into the World Series, and that's the first thing that guys stop doing, and they stop mm-hmm. kind of slowing that breath down. The next thing you know, you're holding your breath or you're breathing really shallow from your chest, um, which is what we advise guys not to do. And so, you know, anytime you're in those pressure situations, the more you can you can slow that breath down and and re- and focus on it. It helps bring your mind, uh, you know, back to where your feet are, and that's ultimately where uh, success and performance lies. Well, Zach, I loved where you went with the last question because it's it's really practical. Like you said, uh, a lot of coaches show videos, and and I've been guilty of that as well, and and still do at times. But a lot of the stuff that you mentioned, we can put into our actual practices on our on the actual field, so there's not a disconnect between okay, we watched a video about this. Now we have no idea how to practice it on the field. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, exactly. I'm really getting into trying to measure everything, everything that I can. Anything that's, that's tangible, I want to try and measure it and track it. So what are some of your favorite things to measure and track? Yeah, this is a great question. And, and to be honest, I think it's an area personally that I, I need to get a little bit better at. It's something that I haven't always historically done very well. Um, but one of the things that I did last spring that I think actually got some, some positive feedback on from coaches and the players, what I've seen is youth athletes now, not just baseball, but youth athletes, we're, we've gotten really accustomed to having other people evaluate our skill set and other people telling us this is what your strengths are this is what your weaknesses are this is the things you need to work on but we talk all the time about another really essential piece to developing the mental game is is self-awareness self-awareness is a really critical you know prerequisite to growth and development and so i wanted to try to better understand where guys thought they were and so i did this with our college age postgrad team last year I started to look at some scouting reports in baseball and and historically you know major league scouting reports have been pretty consistent over the years in terms of the scale and and kind of measuring you know the five tools in baseball and and identifying strengths weaknesses all those different things and I wanted to kind of build off of that a little bit and so what I ended up doing is I put together my own version of a scouting report that not only included physical attributes, but also mental attributes. Things like rate yourself on a you know two to eight. I kind of tried to model it after the 20 to 80 scale in, in professional ball, but 
basically it was rate yourself on things like composure, confidence, ability to focus, uh, your discipline, all these different things. And I had players rate themselves, both physical skills and mental skills. I had other things like I had a spray chart on there, which, you know, tried to get hitters to figure out, okay, where, do, which part of the field do you typically drive a baseball? I had a diagram on one side that was basically, you know, a righty and a lefty at the plate with a, the strike zone. And I said, hitters, I want you to mark what's your hot zone. What pitches are you trying to hit in an advantage count? Um, pitchers, you know, you're facing a righty or a lefty. Where are you trying to locate your fastball? Um, and actually had a diagram that they could do it. You know, if, what's, where's your, where are you trying to throw your breaking ball for an out pitch? Um, or whatever the case may be. We actually had a question on there that I loved that was from uh, one of our assistant coaches. And he said, um, if you're a pitcher, or let's say it was for a hitter, for example, if you were the pitcher, how would you get yourself out? And vice versa for pitchers, if you're a pitcher on the mound as the hitter, what do you think he should be trying to do in order to get on base against you? And what was really interesting about this exercise is we had uh, all of our players fill this this uh, scouting report out. And what was interesting about that question in particular is guys were actually pretty darn accurate. Guys had a pretty good sense of you know what their areas for growth were as a player and, and how they would need to execute against themselves if if they were, you know, across the white lines. And uh, what I liked about it is it was, I think, a really valuable tool for our guys from a self-awareness standpoint to kind of, again, reflect on how they evaluated themselves. But it was also a really valuable tool for me and the coaching staff because it gave us a, an inside look at what the players thought of themselves, you know, and we could look through the numbers and we actually went through as a coaching staff and evaluated each player and, you know, identified congruencies and, and areas where there was maybe some discrepancy. Mm -hmm. And what I found is it was a great conversation starter. Sure. For example, if I had a guy who said he was a, you know, a seven out of eight on body language, but when I look at him, I would say he's a three or a four, you know, it, it, I know it, cre it opens up a door for me to talk to him a little bit about that and get a sense of maybe as a coach, I haven't done a very good job and teaching uh, or identifying what that looks like, what a seven or an eight looks like, or what are some of the skills that, you know, we want our guys to work on. So overall, that's been something that um, we started doing it this year where we had them fill it out in late August when they arrived on campus. We'll have them fill it out again here in a week or so since we're at about the halfway point of the year, and then we'll have them do it again in May. So it's been a very, uh, I think, helpful tool for not just the players again, but I think for coaches as well. well that's really good, and, and it always benefits players to just understand where the divide is between how or how much you think or what you think of them versus what they may think of themselves, and it's always a good discussion point. And uh, one, one thing that I wanted to add that our college coach did and I've used it in the past, especially whenever I was a sub-varsity head coach, is the first scrimmage of the year, I would have, and our coach would have, the players fill out the lineup. So he would have them write down who they think should be where, and just basically who the starting nine should be. And so it kind of takes away that ability for kids to say, oh, well, he just doesn't like me, like as the head coach. I don't know if you guys deal with that or not. But it gives the, some of the kids a jump start of, to realize that, oh, man, maybe uh, if my teammates are thinking the same thing that the head coach is thinking, then I need to either pick it up. Or if my teammates think that much of me to put me in the starting lineup, then I must be doing an okay job. Yeah, absolutely. Again, that's, that can be some great feedback for individuals is, again, them thinking, putting themselves in the coach's shoes and then also certainly hearing you know what their teammates' perceptions are because in some cases, we certainly have some guys who I think they may have, you know, slightly warped, you know, views and, and where they should be, how much their playing time should be or whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, overall, some guys tend to actually have a pretty decent idea um, if they're being honest with themselves. And so definitely can be a great tool. I like that a lot. Definitely. Before you go, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions as far as how you're growing as a person and some what are some of your favorite resources. But I guess the first one is, what's the latest thing learned that you're really excited about? Yeah, so 
one of the areas of emphasis this year across the academy that we're doing here at IMG, and it's something I've been reading a little bit more about too, is an emphasis on recovery. Um, I think that's something that historically we we talk about there's kind of three pillars uh, in training. This is what I've talked to our track kids about, for example. There's preparation, performance, and recovery. You know, we're really good, I think, at the first two, and we're not very good at the last one. And I think I think you're only as good as your recovery. It's a really essential piece to your development as a player. And um, so we've been spending a lot more time emphasizing that to our athletes. And I bring this up for here because I feel like I've there's this common mis, uh, misconception and myth in baseball that more is better, that, you know, getting 100 swings versus getting 50 swings is just instantly better at, you know, at point, you know, at point value and, um, at face value. And so we try to try to break that down a little bit and tell our guys that ultimately you're putting in a lot of time and effort and training. We want to make sure that you're able to reap the benefits of that training, uh, through your, through your recovery. There's a great book that I read on this that's called Peak Performance. It's by Steve Magnus and Brad Stolberg and, and their equation for growth is stress uh, plus rest. And so we've been spending uh, a lot of time on that. And I think, again, it's something that we really try to emphasize. we got a lot of guys who they feel like they have to get in the cages every single night and get you know 50 extra swings after a practice. And I want to be careful here because I don't want to knock a kid for his work ethic and, and discourage him from getting some extra reps in. Um, I, I do believe in that, too. But at the same time, I think you have to be smart with it. And, um, you know, the line that I've used a little bit that uh, honestly is pretty blunt, um, but I think it's there's some hopefully some accuracy to it is that, you know, are you that bad of a practice player that you have to get 50 extra swings after practice in order to get better that day? Hmm. Or are you that bad of a practice player that you have to spend, you know, an extra half an hour, you know, post practice in order to get something out of that day? And Again, some days I think that's that can be helpful and that can be valuable, but um, you know I think sometimes there's there's a fine line there, there's a balance, and uh, you know we want to definitely be emphasizing the rest and sleep and and all those other variables too. Definitely, and and the more research that comes out, it seems that nutrition and sleep are two of the most sought after things in. Uh, sports and performance enhancement and it's really two things that that we as coaches are guilty of not talking about enough or not letting them get enough of yeah yeah i think it's something all of us we can definitely do a better job of it and again it's something that really i've only started to really study more and and devote more time and effort towards in the last few months but um hopefully it'll it'll pay dividends for our group guys down the road Love it. And you mentioned earlier that, that you loved Cal State Fullerton, and that's where Ken Revis is from, who's basically the godfather of the mental game. So I would love to hear what some of your favorite research, resources are as a mental performance coach. I read some, but I want to hear what, uh, what you got, what you love. Sure. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Ken and, and his work with Heads Up Baseball 1 and, and Heads Up Baseball 2.0 are, are definitely great foundations for you know learning more about the mental game. Um, I've also in the past year started to read a little bit more and started to read a little bit more of uh, you know Harvey Dorfman, who's kind of along with Ken, kind of been the 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 pioneer when it comes to the mental side in mm-hmm. baseball, and really like some of his stuff uh, in his book. So I, I would always advocate for for their books to start. You know, I, again, I think there's a lot of really good books out there and whether they're about baseball or about sports psychology in and of itself may not necessarily always be the case. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot of really good books out there on performance excellence. And, uh, you know, I'm a big advocate of reading. I've definitely you from those and can definitely share, you know, some specific books if people are in, are interested. As far as people, my two biggest resources uh, in terms of contacts that I reach out to on the mental game, uh, one of them, his name is Ben Ehrlich. He's a uh, mental yeah, performance. 
yeah, mental performance coach in, in South Carolina and high school teacher. He spent a summer here at IMG um, also as an intern, and, and he's a, I'm a big fan, and he uh, just a great person and has a lot of, I think, really original ideas and kind of does it, uh, shares it in a really authentic way. So I think he's a great resource, and I know he's also really open to, to sharing ideas with people. So I think you can reach him at, at uh, coach underscore Ehrlich um, on Twitter. And then the other one is uh, Taylor Stutzman, who I tag team the baseball program with here at IMG. Uh, he's been uh, a tremendous resource. I'm lucky. He's only like 40 feet away from me, so I can bounce a lot of ideas off of him. But similar to Ben, he's a good person to, to contact for anybody that wants some more ideas on how to in- integrate the mental game into their training. Those are a couple people. And then the only other thing I might add is some podcasts. Uh, As I mentioned to you, I love your podcast and and I've gained a lot from some of the people you've interviewed, uh, similar to ABCA and their calls from the clubhouse. And and then also the one that I've started to get on more recently is the 1% Better podcast from uh, Joe Ferraro. I think uh, all of you guys have done a great job in terms of the people you've interviewed and asking some really insightful questions that... Um, I'll be honest, I've gained a lot. I've taken a lot of notes from listening to all the people that have been interviewed uh, on those respective shows. So, um, yeah, those would be my main resources. Well, awesome. Well, Zach, thank you so much for being with us today. You gave us a lot of different resources, but why don't you throw yours out there in case anyone wants to get in touch? Yeah, so, you know, a couple places I think that are easy to reach me. You can follow me or contact me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at MVP uh, underscore mindset. Um, so feel free. Um, I love to hear people's feedback on today's episode and get, you know, hear suggestions. If there's things that I can do better, I, I would love to hear people's ideas and suggestions. And then I, you can also reach me on my email. It's uh, Zachary, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y, dot brandon at img.com i would say those are probably the two easiest ways to get a hold of me love it so is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before you go uh i think the only other thing that i thought of that i think could be a a valuable tool um for coaches and players that we maybe haven't dived into and it gets it builds off of that self-awareness idea that i referenced earlier is I'm i'm a big advocate for athletes and performers reflecting after their performance you know i'll reference ken again uh and one of the the quotes that he talks about is is when does the at bat or when does the game begin for you you know does it begin when you put on the batting gloves does it begin the night before when you visualize your ab's um etc well i think the inverse is also really uh, important in terms of when does an at bat end or when does a game end and i see a lot of youth athletes now and even older athletes where as soon as the game's over, the first thing they do is they go for the technology, they go for their phone, and instantly they're, you know, they're getting a lot of different stimuli and a lot of different information, and, and some of that's most likely not very relevant to the, the performance that they just devoted you know, two to three hours of their time towards. And so one of the, the tools that we use that I think has been a really helpful conversation starter with guys is a reflection tool. We call it Well Better How, but I actually heard a gentleman, his name is Bernie Holiday. He's the director of mental conditioning for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he has a similar model, but basically it's a, a three, two, one drill. And it's give me three ups, two downs, and one takeaway from today's performance. And I really like that, um, that exercise and that drill a lot for a couple of reasons. It's, it's pretty sticky. But also, I like that it emphasizes more positives because I think we're really good at beating ourselves up. And, you know, I ask a lot of kids after a game or a practice and, you know, they may have done 90% of the things really well, but that one miscue that they have or that one at bat that they didn't uh, get the job done in, that's what they kind of hang their hat on and they, they reinforce to me. And so... I think that's been a really helpful tool to get guys to reflect a little bit. Um, and I think this is important for two ways. The last two years, I've worked with college age group uh, and college teams. And 
two and the feedback that I've gotten from both groups in the last two years has actually been pretty similar and it's been really I think re- interesting to me is that some of their favorite sessions have been when they've had the opportunity to share with one another in other words we get again so caught up into hearing what the coaches evaluations are feedback are on a games and that's certainly really important but it's interesting to me that a lot of our guys have really appreciated hearing from each other and i think doing those types of kind of reflection exercises after a game or maybe the monday after a weekend series is a really kind of helpful tool that you can do to kind of get guys to think a little bit more about it. And from an individual standpoint, I've had guys audio record themselves in their phone because not a lot of guys like to write these things down anymore, even though I, I, my preference would be for guys to have a journal where they could jot down their reflections after a game. But everybody's got a voice recording tool on their phone pretty much nowadays. So I have them, you know, get in the phone and, and give me your three, two, one. And then at the end of recording it, give yourself a, a grade kind of on like, uh, you know, did you have your A game today? Did you have your B plus game, your C minus game, whatever it may have been, you know, you can date it and so forth and then keep it on your phone or send it to me. And then that way down the road, when you start scuffling a little bit and you're not performing well, all I got to do is go back and pull that tape up of when you had your A game and you can hear it from your, your own voice, your own self about, okay, what did it take? What adjustments do I need to make in order to get back there? Because ultimately, in performance, we wear two hats. And on the baseball diamond, we're we're the performer and we're the coach. And we spend a lot of time on the physical performer side. But if you can't make adjustments, if you can't self-coach yourself out on the diamond, that doesn't do you very very much good. And so we, uh, I think those have been some really helpful tools to kind of get guys to reflect more and open up with each other on. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. I would love to get in contact with you to hear your thoughts on the podcast. There are two easy ways to do that. You can email me at jgellner7 at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at AOTC underscore podcast. Also, do you like to share ideas and have conversations with other baseball coaches? Just go to facebook.com and search Ahead of the Curve Coaches to join our group. It's free, so what have you got to lose? If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a rating so others can find the show. Thanks for listening and have a great week.